coming in. Let's um, let's prepare our hearts. I'm sure you are. Many of you get yourselves ready before we begin this event every week. You've been preparing all week to make yourself ready for the Lord. I read this passage out of Psalms 144 last week, but as we enter into worship this week, I felt impressed of the Lord to do uh, Psalms 144 again. Stephen was reading it himself this morning, so we are we're tracking Psalms 144. Set your heart and your mind on the Lord. Blessed be the Lord, my rock and my keen and firm strength, who teaches my hands to war and teaches my fingers to fight. I say that you're my steadfast love and my fortress. You're my high tower and my deliverer, my shield, and in whom I trust and take refuge, who subdues my people under me. Lord, what is man that you take taken notice of us, or the son of man that you take an account of him? Man is like vanity and a breath. His days are as a shadow that passes away. Bow down, you heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch this mountain and make it to smoke. Cast forth your lightning and scatter, and send out your arrows and embarrass and frustrate my enemy. Stretch forth your hand from above and rescue me and deliver me out of great waters and from the hands of a hostile alien whose mouth speak the seed and whose right hands are right hands raised and taken fraudulent oaths. I sing a new song to you, O God, upon stringed instrument and I will praise you with my whole heart we say you're the one who brings salvation you rescue David your servant from the hurtful sword rescue us and deliver us from the mouth of against alien tribes whose mouths speak the seed and again whose right hands are right hands raised taking fraudulent oaths. When our sons shall be as plants grown large in their youth and our daughters as sculptured corner pillars hewn like those of a palace. When our garners are full, affording all manner of store, and our sheep bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our pastures. When our oxen are well loaded, when there is no invasion and no going forth, and 
no outcry anymore in our streets. If you would like, I'd like to ask you to stand this morning. Happy and blessed. We are the happy and blessed ones and the fortunate and the prosperous ones. The ones to be envied are the ones whose people have made God our Lord. We bless your name this morning, Lord. We give honor to you, Lord. We lift up your name, Jesus. You're the glorious one.
of the Lord forever. And with my mouth, though I make known your faithfulness from generation to generation. For I have said, mercy and loving kindness shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you will establish in the very heavens. And you have said, I will make a covenant with my chosen one. I've sworn to David, my servant. Your seed I will establish forever. And I will build up your throne for all generations. Let heaven praise your wonders, O Lord, and your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? And who among the mighty can be likened to the Lord? O God, you're greatly to be feared and revered in the council of the holy ones, and to be feared and worshipped and revered above all those who are around about him. Oh Lord, God of hosts, who is a mighty one like you? Who's like you, Lord? Oh, no one can compare. No one. No one compares to you, Lord. No one. Who can compare to the
saying to me, if, if you, you yourself, you have, you have to give him permission to let him come to you, but he will, he'll make his abode with you right now, you just say, Lord, I'll, I'll let you 
because he's so the Holy Spirit that will begin to come into this pavilion. You have, you have to give him permission. He's very gentle, he's very kind, he's very meek, but he wants permission. The easiest way I know how to do this, he's been teaching me how to come to know him, is just take a deep breath. Everything's going to be okay. Take a deep breath. And exhale. I, I've got you. I'm going to take care of you. I love you. Trust me. I love you. And you just let him have you. Just let him have you. He's so gentle. He's so loving. And so kind. But he's so sweet. give honor and we magnify you Holy Spirit for your goodness your eternal goodness of your person of who you really are let us not grieve you I throw all the controls out I throw all the manipulation out just for you, not for me, but just for you, that you would receive all the glory and honor that you are due, apart from anything you do for me. I praise you, and I extol you. You're the majestic one, and you kept yourself hidden from man, because man didn't want you, but we do, and we ask you to come and breathe let your wind and let your glory cloud come down hear our cry we long for you Holy Spirit spirit of fire and holiness spirit of goodness and delight sweep in this place and cleanse us Lord and make us new and let your fire burn let your fire burn on us until we become consumed with you. Hear us from above. That this offering would be pleasing to you. We honor you, Lord. We bless you, Lord, for you.
Peter chapter 1, verse 3. I want to tell you what is happening right now, real time. Here, the word of the Lord, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through these, he has given us his precious and magnificent promises so that right now, how do I explain this? This is like unloading the contagion of God himself, his own nature being installed into your own person right now. The express DNA or RNA of the Father right now. Through these he has given us his precious and magnificent promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Like who would want to miss that? That right now you're partaking of the very divine nature of God in this setting. You're receiving the very nature of the Godhead in you. And Christ in you, the hope of glory. And all it is is a simple, like we've done, a simple receiving. Because we have nothing we can bring to him but just say, Lord, here I am. I give you my whole self. Take me and do what you want with me. I've been bought with a price. I'm not my own. And you take his nature. Now that you've escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. necessarily but I tell you of a truth from the Lord it is happening right now and it's contingent on you just wanting him and honoring him you can have all of him now
Holy Spirit comes, you'll experience an exposure. But if you'll just connect into the exposure of what we call the vacancy, where you feel left high and dry, it's kind of like the, the grandest doctor that you could ever imagine. It's got you laid out. And he's very particularly selected the exact right word to install into you. He knows you. He knows your whole frame. And the word became flesh. You see it? And twilled. Word installation, the Logos, born out by the Rhema. So many people have scattered from this phenomenon of the Holy Spirit. The phenomenon that he would wanted to come close so much. When we felt the vacancy and the exposure, we ran. But we don't have to run. We run into him now. You've learned. Some people put up walls and they blocked him. They built whole fortresses around him. But he just wanted to come near and give you himself. He'll never do it. He'll never do it unless you say, I want you. He won't because he's so loving that he won't violate or impose his will on you. He never imposes his will. But to the ones who say, I'll take you, I'll have you more than anything, he'll give his whole self. He'll not just give you his whole self. He'll take care of everything for you. He's good like that. to hedge from the Holy Spirit. We don't have to build a boundary around ourselves anymore. We don't have to feel that feeling. We might feel that feeling. Somebody's watching me. Somebody sees me. I see me. We become so self-aware and self-conscious. We're actually viewing ourselves through another peripheral. But if we could just turn our eyes and gaze into the glory culture today has taught us to gaze upon our own self and God would teach us to gaze on him our culture is telling us to give an outward appearance view of ourself and to keep looking at ourselves. and the word would say lift up your eyes from whence cometh your help my help comes from the maker of heaven and earth and I I want to lift up my eyes like Abram did. And he says, I'll give you the north, the south, the east, and the west. I'll lift the inheritance. I'll give it to you naturally. I'll give you me. And what would be our greatest affection and prize? But he himself. What would be our greatest longing? Solomon became bored with everything he had. He just kept trying to add something to it. And if he became bored, the richest man that's ever lived should tell us something that that is not our path. The Lord may provide all those things, but still, Solomon knew there was one who was greater, one to be worshipped.
can't hear it. Okay, there you go. But we've been here for so long, and I've never smelled the laundry. There's a laundry mat right there. And the last 10 to 15 minutes, I'm just smelling that smell. I don't you know. It's like the downy or the fresh, clean smell. I was, was impressed by God that, like, he does the process. Like, he does the washing inside. He does the folding. It's like having all your soiled, um, filthy garments washed, dried, folded, delivered, stacked. Like, he does the whole thing, and we get the blessing of that. Like, and um, I was just so overwhelmed by how much that blessed me. Smelling clean laundry. Start like I love having fresh clean sheets. It's like, ah, oh, I mean, it's really like your soul is being washed, and um, I just feel like that old man, the new man, that he was just impressing that on me. That it is just like he does it all. We don't have to even do the process. We just have to submit to him, and he does the washing, he does the folding, he does the work. That's the beauty of.
deepest places in you are calling to the fountains of my soul. From the dirt you've drawn me out, and you draw me out again. And I'm coming back from the dead, and I'm coming out.
just keeps telling me I'm so satisfied with the worship here today. Amen. Amen. Well, as, as many of you know, and if you didn't know, I don't know if we have this this morning, but I had asked you if you could bring some kind of way to take notes. It would probably be, be good. However, the caveat to that, if notes are distracting for you, if you want my notes, you can have them, the notes that I've worked out today, because uh, the material that will be unpacked in this sermon today is really the culmination of a couple weeks. I got We got home, our family did, from a vacation last night out of Hilton Head, and I, I was sharing with Kara, I said, I really got to go and sit before the Lord, uh, because vacations for us a lot of times... There's encounters going on, but a lot of times it's just family focus, and you just turn your heart towards that and to, towards them and, you know, set work, set the work there while the Lord's with us. But I, I began last night to really be pulled into his presence and then slept hard and then woke up relatively early this morning, and the Lord began to really, really put teeth into the day and what we're about to unpack, because I would have to say that it's not good if it's confusing for the preacher, because if it is, it's going to be confusing for you, <laughs> you know, and I needed, I needed some real clarity. Pray for me this morning that I can deliver this message in a way would be well received to your, by your spirit and, and by your ears, that you can hear the th- this that the spirit is speaking to us because I believe that in it is the seed of Christ and the extrapolation of that seed is my duty this morning uh, to extrapolate and to bring bring this message out in a way that is um, coherent but also completely driven by the spirit I'm going to just deliver this up to him the great paraclete this morning Holy Spirit, I give you permission to take over my mouth and deliver this message for your glory, for your honor, and that it would be unto you and it would praise you and bless your name. I pray for anointing and the unction of your spirit to bring out the great mystery, the secret plan that you had ordained eternity and within eternity now. That great plan of yours is being delivered here even in the end of the age. Uh, as we prepare for your great inbreaking as you split the eastern sky. And may this message propagate. I pray for a great propagation of this double helix. That what you've designed and for mankind and for uh, the Gentile inclusion. Uh, in your name we pray, amen. A lot of times he's like set it within a narrative and then bring out your theological discourse out from a narrative. And so that's, a, that's the tool, philosophy of the Father this morning in this preaching. And so we're going to go to Genesis chapter 18 to set the narrative. Then we'll unpack, unpack this message out from that narrative. Uh, as many of you may or may not be aware I preached a sermon, X2M90. I believe that X2M90 is very important for you to 
go back and reflect on in light of today, which is X2M100. When I use the acronym X2M, it means exit to millennium. So when this was coming from the Lord earlier this year, we were discussing this some, somewhat with Pete Lineker. The Lord was letting me know that he's going to raise up a second exodus unto glorification. The church's final frontier is the glorification of man and will culminate in the return of the Lord. And there's a lot to that. The Lord, the Father, is looking for a people that looks just like his son. And when they do, when this full Christology, what Paul talked about, the Christos is installed in them and they look like him, that's what causes the Father to say, Acts 3.21, Jesus is retained. He's under a legal retainer in the heavens until the restoration of all things. And what is the restoration of all things? That we would look like him. Not Jesus the way he looks as a person, but Christ in Jesus. Uh, because Christ, again, you've heard me tell you this, Christ is not Jesus' last name. You've heard people say, Jesus H. Christ. That is not his name. His name is Jesus. H is not his middle name. Christ is a is his dazzling internal upgrade soul feature that's inside of him. Um, in the old covenant, they called it the Mashiach. And the Mashiach was an anointing that was applied to kings and rulers, and they were applied this to their to them, and they would anoint them and prepare them for uh, leadership. Judges had there's Mashiach applied. And so when we're looking at, in the Old Testament, the language of Mashiach that's used is this application of anointing that would go on governing rulers. In, in the New Testament, Paul uses a language called Christos. And Christos is the idea of the Old Covenant Mashiach. And so it's, that's an important thing for you to understand because I didn't really know this. Until the Holy Spirit began to illuminate my understanding, I didn't know that what Paul was really going for was that the Lord wanted to install this mystery or secret plan within mankind, and not just within the Jewish family, but within the whole Gentile race. As many as would receive him, he would give them the right to be called the sons of God. And what I'm describing to you is the full royal treatment of the father to the sons and daughters of his family. He wants to give you his, what Jesus paid for at the cross. He wants to give you his full Christology. It's like the ultimate upgrade. It's the ultimate superhero, the ultimate beauty queen. I, I don't know how to describe it, but it's the ultimate the penultimate aspect installed into a human, and we're the Holy Spirit literally within these events is unpacking that. His Christology. And I gotta tell you, as someone who's on the cuff with this with the Holy Spirit following him, I am blown away. I tell you, at least five to ten times a day, I look at my own notes. And he shows me another connection, another connection, another connection. And the Lord wants to deliver this to his people. And he is, in the end of this age, going to give this full Christology, 
within Gentile and Jewish nation and make one new man, a brand new man, unto a glorified human being. So when we're looking at, we're looking at Genesis chapter 18. Now, again, go back and listen to Acts 2 m 90. Abram is, and this is just a short run on that, Abram's sitting at the threshold of the door. He's at a place of liminality. Liminality means like a threshold. He's sitting there in, in the heat of the day in the middle of the desert in a tent. And three men are going to show up. I personally believe that that is, that is a, a phino in the Greek or a phanic, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. There's an appearing of them. And they're going to appear to him and he's going to entreat them. And um, that message in X2M90, I go through the character of the man and, and what happens when the Trinity basically shows up. They're going to tell him, just like Stephen was singing, he took me out of the dirt. And it, they tell him, he's Yasheb is the uh, Hebrew word, he's sitting in the threshold. He gets up and rises. And he's going to end up, and, and you've heard this in the previous sermons, He's going to be, the Lord's preparing him to take a seat of honor because what the Trinity is there to show up for is to deliver a promise. I'm going to suggest today that that promise that was being delivered to Abraham and Sarah by their seed offspring Isaac through Jacob through the 12 that will run through Judah and it will end up being the Lord, that seed which Paul spoke of is the promise of this Christology I'm speaking of today. And so I, you have to have some narrative biblical theology installed into your understanding to understand me this morning. But again, Abraham's going to have Isaac, Sarah. Abraham and Sarah are going to have Isaac. Who's going to have Jacob. They're going to have 12 sons in Judah. There's going to be a splitting of the birthright and the scepter. It's going to go through the kings. It's going to come back together with Joseph and Mary. Jesus is going to be born Jesus is going to pay the price, second Adam. He's going to purchase this Christology for us. Paul's going to pick it up. Paul's going to write a large part of the canon of the New Testament. Paul's going to begin to extrapolate this mystery. This mystery is going to dovetail right here at the end of the age. And there's going to be Jew and Gentile brought together, male and female, bond and free. And then in the age, it's going to be that it's going to dovetail together, and you're going to have a full, a full Christology installed in an anthropology, a full divine human. And that is what the Father is looking for: is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you see? Right there. And so he takes me back to origin, and I know the origin, the origin story is outside of space-time because it began in the heart of the Father before. Uh, he even created anything because it says that he, Jesus, he was slain in the foundation of the earth. God already had this in his mind, and what it was was he wanted an expanded family that looked like his beloved son, and he wanted to take what his beloved son has, not Jesus as a man, but Christ in him, and give it out to everyone who would receive it. Do you see? And this origin story Back to Adam through Abraham. I'm going to select a family. I'm going to get this thing ready. And we got to go back to origin, or he wants me to. We have a promise. 
And he's going to put this into Isaac again. Now, Sarah is 90 years old. Abram is transitioning to 100. I told the guys this morning I was a little blown away because X2M90, he tells me, priestess, and at X2M100, he says, you're going, to do, you're going to finish up Genesis 18. And so he puts Sarah there, and now he puts Abram here. And I, and I thought, Lord, you, you're amazing. I mean, who can do things like this? Only the Lord. And, that's, and when the unfolding of this, which will end on October the 30th, when we started it, after X2M70, I went in and put in a pregnancy calculator the day a baby would be born. And from the day that we left the collider, we left downtown, and we started a 40-week series. The day that a baby would be born is October 30th. Exactly. So there's this storyline has this complexity, in it, and the Holy Spirit's running this whole entire show. It's his, and we're fully submitted to him. Well, he's bringing forth... I believe the, one of the most beautiful aspects of the kingdom. He's going to bring forth the reality of what the son purchased at Calvary and hand it off through transmission. I saw it 18 years ago when the Lord initiated my wife and I out of the Air Force and left my career and everything. I saw a blue helix is coming out of my mouth. I saw it hitting people and knocking them unconscious. They come up completely brand new. And I said, what is that? I didn't know. Well, now, finally, after pioneering for 18 years, he's on to it. The Lord's going to unleash this, and it's going to come out of other people's mouths. As you're going to transmit God. The gospel of the kingdom, Matthew 24, 14, will be preached in all the earth, and then the end will come. And so let's, uh, let's unpack this. Genesis chapter 18. I want you to see that, because this is really important, the Holy Spirit is like, you, you got to go through this. I want you to see the context in which this promise comes forth, because all promise, apparently, that we're engaging with and where we're headed as a family, I think you're going to see what I'm saying here shortly, or what the Holy Spirit's saying through me to you, is set in a context, and, and look at this with me, Genesis 18, 16. What is the context? The men got up to leave. They looked out over Sodom. Abraham was walking with them. I don't know if that like takes you back to Enoch or takes you to Adam. But there's something about walking with God, let me say. He's walking with them. He's in motion. And in this motion that he's in with God, because let me tell you, the kingdom of God is advancing, and it is one that has motion in it. It is a movement. It is not a monument. It is not a memorial. A memorial. The kingdom that you are in is, is moving. You, know, you try to, like, sit down in your laurels. It's not going to work. You have to get up. You're not a survivor. You're a thriver. The whole movement of this kingdom is going to pull you out of your comfort zone. Let me just tell you, if you don't already know it, don't look for comfort and pleasure with the Godhead. He's walking, right? He's walking and he says, um, Then the Lord said, Should I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? 
remember how Jesus will tell you if a man asks you to walk one mile, what? Walk what? Old King James says twain. <laughs> There's something about relating to God where he invites you into something, but now I've learned this with him, and I, I've done this with uh, my own children. They don't even know this. They say, well, we don't need to hang out with daddy or whatever. They don't do that all the time. They're pre we're a pretty close family. But if they would come along with me into some of the things I'm going into, I would open myself up to them more. But I withhold information. And sometimes I think, I wish they were mature enough that I could talk to them. I have some things that I'd like to say to my children. And they don't know. Because I can't say unless they want to come and they're invited into something. And they, by their own choice... Say, I want to come with you into an area maybe that I didn't necessarily want to go into. And it's in those places that I found the most intimacy with my own family is in the place where I took off to do something. And one of them would say, I'm going there with daddy. I don't know what I'm going to get myself into. And he might ask me to do something and I don't want to. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Because there has to be a willingness. There's a loss of something of yourself there. And the Holy Spirit is saying, I want to invite you into the loss of what would please you. Because when you go walking with God, you're not necessarily getting, what is the word for, it's not necessarily pragmatic. You know, tit for tat, I get this because I did that. It's not necessarily utilitarian, meaning that I can utilize this for my own self for my own sake. When you go walk with God, you may not extract utility out of it, and you may not, it may not be a pragmatic walk. It's an imitation, and in that imitation is a loss of yourself. But in the loss of yourself, there's always a communication and a revelation. Now, I've got to know him like that. There's information I can never glean unless I went into a place with God that necessarily give me an output that I was looking for for me. You know what I mean? Should we hide this from Abram? He came on a walk with us. You see the character? Walking his activity, too. He was sitting, so he was in a place of contemplation. Now he's being invited into action. So while doing nothing, the very best of something comes from nothing. That was Christopher Robin. It's also in the Bible, only I do nothing except what I see my father doing. Contemplation, there's also activity in God. There's work. He invites you into something, and it's, a, it's to engage you, to move you forward, to move you out of that place where you've got to still, maybe even contemplation. Now I'm being invited into action. And in that place, it's the strangest thing to me, in the action of the selflessness, of giving of oneself, the Lord begins to speak. All revelation comes there. It's in, that's a place of humility. And revelation will come to you there. Now, I'm not saying revelation doesn't come to you in contemplation. But that's just to get you still so that you can know that he is God. Now, I'm inviting you into doing something that might cost you something. Now, should we keep this from Abram? No, let's tell this guy. Let's tell him what we're about to do. And so he says, I, I love this. After all, this Abraham guy, he's surely going to become a great and powerful nation. Who has ever called someone else a nation? <laughs> I mean, 
This guy's going places. His whole entire demeanor structure, the way he is, the way he's set up, this thing's going into a nation. And, hey, he's going to become great and powerful. And all the nations of the earth are going to receive a blessing through him. The promise is already being established with the character of this man. And, and you can go back to X2M90 to and listen to it. And, and Sarah, I mean, you want to talk about an amazing character. Follow that guy around. <laughs> I just want to say, ladies, I'm sure it could be tough sometimes that, you, that are married, you know, and even following that guy. It's like a double dependence. Well, he said, the Lord said, and who am I to, you know, I'm supposed to, uh, oh, Lord, I, I don't, you know, some of you know. She's an amazing woman. Should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Okay. I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord, doing what is right and just. There's a generational transfer happening here. Notice that. He says he may command his children. <laughs> yeah. Well, some kids don't like to be told what to do. It's all got to be suggestion-based. It says that he will command his children. I just just sharing that with y'all that have children. I don't mean the beatdown and the legal thing. I mean, hey, these are the commands of the Lord. This family's going to adhere to the ways of God. My family, we're going to serve the Lord, uh, Joshua says. It starts here with me, Abraham. It goes with Sarah, and it's going to be the kids are going. I'm setting a command. The Lord actually respects that, apparently. That guy's going to become a nation. He's pretty amazing. He's great. I chose him myself. I did that so he would command his children to serve the Lord. And that his household would be kept in a way that is in keeping with the ways of the Lord. The Lord's into family, obviously. I want you to do what is right and just. Righteousness and justice here. And then the Lord will give to Abraham... Now hear me, hear the if-then in the passage here. Then the Lord will give to Abraham what he promised him. Uh, there's an implied if-then statement laying right there in the everyday life of family. I love this because God is a family guy. And he's saying I want the family to walk in the ways of righteousness and justice within the family structure. The Lord wants that. And the Lord wants leadership. He doesn't want passive aggressiveness. He doesn't want dominance. He wants righteousness and justice in the family structure. And in that way, he's ready to share his revelation. You know, don't let a man be an elder if he can't keep his own house. Right? I mean, that's one of the 14 of the eldership. You know, quick to, te to be teachable, not drunk with wine. There's all these aspects of, of godliness in this kind of leadership. And so I want to give him what I promised to him, but I've set a contingency in the family. Okay. So the Lord said, now the Lord's going to deliver revelation. The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin so blatant that I'm going down there and see if they're as wicked as the outcry suggests. So God's up there 
And people are complaining. This thing's got bad down here. Our nation in this aspect of Sodom and Gomorrah has got out of hand. And the Lord's hearing the outcry. Well, we're going to go down there and see if uh, there's some validity to this. If not, he's saying, I want to know. So the, I'm like, man, Lord, you're, you even condescend to man. You know, <laughs> I have six kids, and one of them will complain against the other one. They outcry. You know, there comes another outcry. Ah, ah, they hit me. They called me a name. They smacked me. They took my phone. They posted me on Instagram. You know, whatever it is. I didn't want that. I don't like that. An outcry goes up. We have a lot of outcry going on in this nation. A lot. And a lot for a good reason. There's that outcry going up. And I, I believe that even in, the, even in this message today, it's meant to imply something concerning actually our nation. But hear, hear this out. The reason why I said that, I said it within my own family, but I said it outside my family is because you're going to see that we're not better than them. <laughs> There's, this isn't about being haughty, and you're going to see this against our nation and what's going on. We, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And, and you're going to see why this matters here in a second. Then the two men turned and headed towards Sodom, but Abram was still standing now before the Lord. Just one little point there. The fact that that man can even stand before the Lord proclaims that that man was holy. The Bible says if God was to mark iniquity, what? Who could stand? There's something so uh, beautiful and amazing in the nature of Abraham, let's just say here, that he's actually standing before the Lord. A few weeks ago when we were in this meeting and the Lord's like Isaiah 52.2, he's like, uh, get up, stand up out of the dirt, you captive. And uh, there was a weight that was on this meeting. And it was the kavod of God. We found out later, Kara and I did in the morning devotions the next morning, as I'm reading on kavod, she's reading on kavod, and she says, is this what you're talking about? I was like, oh my goodness, you're definitely saying a weightiness came. And I felt that weightiness in the Lord stand up in the weight. The weight of holiness. And, and so it, is, it is, is something to say of this man who is not just sitting in a threshold anymore in the dirt, but now is standing up in the presence of the Lord. If that man is filled with iniquity, there is no way. It smash him into the ground. He cannot stand there. He's standing in the presence of the Lord. Because, and I believe this, that true intercession is like that. It's looking God eye to eye, standing there looking at him. Uh, most of my time has been on the fort, I just got to say. <laughs> it's been flat on my face. It's like I could barely get on my knees sometimes before the Lord. He comes in, and you're just flat out. He said, um, he approached him and said, will you really sweep away the godly along with the wicked? What if there are 50 godly people in the city? I think Abram has some, um, he's a bold fella. He just asked the Lord, in a way, confronted the Lord. I like this guy. He's not like squeamish and weak and mealy mouth and meowing him. 
He's looking the man right in the face, and he asks him a question like a man to a man, not afraid to ask him a question. Are you really going to do this? Because you know that's not right. I mean, that's what he's saying. He's, you know it's not right. It's not right for you to come down and destroy the godly with the ungodly. That's not right of you. And Abram does it politely he, because you're going to see, he says, if it be okay for me to say. But he's still confronting God. Uh, you'll be drawn back to Moses will do that. You think that God wouldn't want to have a relationship with you like that? He does. I'll tell you what's happening to Abraham. He's becoming more like him. He's become so much like him, it's not like he's, he can never make a decision because he questions himself all the time kind of person. He's become so righteous and so much like the Father, but like the Lord, that he's, it's okay to have a confrontational dialogue. <laughs> he wants to talk. Sometimes, you know, we get in a confrontation, I'm bailing out, I'm out, we go isolate, we move out of the thing. But, you know, where there's real love, there's confrontation. Where there's real love, there's communication. It's like, well, that don't set right with me. Well, let's talk it out. And I've, I've found this because what Abram is doing in effect to God is he's giving him an objection. I object to what you're doing right now or... I have a misunderstanding. But he's willing to go on the line on behalf of others. And, I, and I'm, you, you see this nature later on is going to show up in the man, the quintessential man. Willing to go on the line for others in the face of his father. I'm willing to do this. And, and you're going to see here when I unpack this for you this morning, you're going to see how beautiful this is. Oh, if there's 45, if there's 40. If there's 30, there's 35. If there's, 30, there's 25, there's 20. There's Lord, if there be 10, right, down, 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 down. What happens? There's not. There's not because Lot's going to get out. But what's going to happen to Sodom? Fire's going to rain down. Now, listen, don't. Don't lose focus with me right now because we're really going to delve into the material. I, um, I had to dig into this because I had always had thought that when we use the word sodomy, everybody knows what we mean when we say that. You know, sexual immorality is wrong, period. All the way across the board. And there are acts that are that are abominations to God. Romans 1 spells that out. And we, we know that clearly from Leviticus and Romans 1. However, I, I want to go deeper into this because I found a passage that speaks of Sodom in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49 and 50. And I want to share this with you in the context of promise that's being delivered to Abram. And I want you to see what... And why fire had to rain down on Sodom. I want you to hear what it says in Ezekiel 16 about Sodom. Uh, Ezekiel 16, 49. Listen, 
to the voice of Scripture. See here, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. What was the iniquity? Listen to what he says. See, she and her daughters had majesty. Listen, they had an abundance of food. And they enjoyed carefree ease. But they did not help the poor and needy. The daughters had majesty. I'd imagine that the daughters here, the daughters of Sodom, looked really good. Maybe they were highly attractive. They had a sense of glory on them. The daughters did. They, there was something beautiful about the outward appearance of the ladies within Sodom. They had a sense of majesty or glory connected to them. He said that the women looked good. They had an abundance of food. I, I was raised, you, you clean your plate, you know, and or you take it home, you put it in the microwave, you know. I was just raised like that. I didn't have a problem with it. But they had an overabundance of food. They had an abundance of food. And they enjoyed a carefree, easy life. Now, I, I don't know, maybe, I don't know if any of you, but uh, there's many of us in this nation that have enjoyed carefree living. Now, here's the thing, and I, I want to say this because the Lord's not saying that you can't look nice here. He's not saying that he doesn't want us to have an abundance of food. He's also not saying that you can't enjoy a uh, carefree life. He's saying that they had that and they did not help the poor and the needy. So when they saw someone who needed something, they just turned their eyes away from them. They didn't go out of their way to help someone who was in need. They had everything going for them, but they didn't take time to assist others. And, and I'll tell you that a lot of decadent lifestyle does that because it's seeking to isolate itself away from the rabble or, you know, that those areas don't want to go near them, don't want to be around because somehow makes people feel bad about themselves because we don't want to look at the plight of another human being going through a difficult place. We can't get our hands, so to speak, dirty. And God has an indictment against that. He indicts Sodom on that first count. And, and I'll tell you how I, I know that Proverbs 22.4 because it says, Proverbs 22.4, how do I know that the Lord doesn't mind you having these things. Proverbs 22, 4 says, it says, those who are meek or humble and have the reverential fear of the Lord, I will give them riches, honor, and life. So the Lord will meet you in your finances, riches. He'll give you honor in your relationships, and he'll give you life in your health. The Lord will do that out of meekness, and the reverential fear of the Lord. So how do I know that from Scripture? That the Holy Spirit, when he makes this indictment, is not against their majesty or beauty, against the abundance of their food or their carefree lifestyle. What he's against is that they didn't turn that into being a blessing to others. They turned their eyes away from it. Number two, 
They were haughty. And you know when someone looks down their nose at you. you we've all had it happen. Maybe some of us have been guilty of doing it. But I'm better than you. And we feel it if it transmits out of us. Uh, people will be like, oh, you think you're better than me. Oh, you think you're, you got something going? You know, you can feel it. And there's patronizing that goes on with that. They patronize you. You know what it feels like to be patronized. It doesn't feel good. Maybe you've been the patronizer. Maybe you've patronized other people. The Lord is looking for you to be a patron, not a patronizer. The heart of the Father loves. Someone said recently about our personal family said, you guys are loaded. They think we're rich. And we're not in the sense of having a lot of monetary wealth. We don't. Our family doesn't. But I said, no, what you're confusing is love. Because love is the royal law. And when you're around someone who loves, it feels rich. We've traded materialism and consumerism for the true wealth that comes from royalty, which is the royal law of love. When you're around someone who's truly royal, love will transmit. And it, it'll make people think, you must be loaded. Now, I'm not saying you couldn't be loaded and still have the royal law of love. You can't. I, I don't think the Father has a problem with that. My point is, is that love is the greatest value of royalty. True royalty loves. This love has time for other people. This love loves to give. This love takes time out. This love doesn't look down and patronize other people at all. It may possess all things. And yet you could be right there in the most simple conversation. It's the heart of the Father. You see this same condescension that he has in the middle of this whole message. Well, if, even if there's ten, yeah, I won't rain down fire on the whole city. He loves. It says a thing about Sodom. It says none of their ways please the Lord. Not one way they had. Could you imagine? Every decision that a person would make would just be corrupt. That's, that was the nature of these people. It is so infected with sin that not even one decision they would make would please the Lord. Not one. Um, he said they also, not just haughty, but they practiced abominable deeds before me. The Lord sees everything. They're practicing deeds that are abominable to me. I think this gets into a lot of the uh, sexual immorality. Homosexuality is a component of that. We've tied that to sodomy. But the Lord's like, I want you to see a more robust thing. Because it's, easy, it's been easy for people, even within your nation, to go point to the sexually immoral sodomite and yet have a haltiness. I don't agree with either one of them. And I don't agree with not sharing uh, what you have with the poor and the needy. I, I don't agree with that either. And so you can have a right-based, red-based justification. I'm amazing. And you left-based, whatever, are doing those kind of abominable practices, but the Lord don't go for either side of it. He rains down fire on Sodom for both sides of that tree of knowledge of good and evil whose ways don't please the Lord at all. And the Lord is highly redemptive here. The Lord is great in mercy and love. The Lord isn't making a decision like that. That he hasn't weighed out every possible component. 
The Lord doesn't, if the Lord's going to bring in a smart bomb, it's going to have the most effect with the least amount of casualties. But he does do that. And this is important for us to understand because in the context here, he says, therefore, when I saw it, I removed them. Wow, right? Wow in this nation right now, right? There is such a push for immorality right now like we have never seen. It is being shoved down everybody's visual eyes like we've never seen. I want to highly recommend to you that you cut league with all of that and don't fill your eyes and your ears with that garbage. That you ask the Lord about what I'm telling you right now and you, you do not connect yourself with it. And you lead your children not to. So in the middle of a Sodomic system, the Lord has spared himself a remnant, a family, to bring forth a promise of restoration. It is my duty to be balanced in my preaching. I have to show the destruction. I have to show the restoration. And And so I want to carve out this morning through the middle of it in our nation, in the nations of this world, that in the same context, God is providing a promise through his royal family. And this week I said, Lord, what was it about Abraham and Sarah? And he says, I'll tell you what. I found a family that would adhere to me and love me and give me their whole self that I could transform so much so that through that witness that was born on the earth, I could begin to transfer my righteousness to the entire realm around them. Do you, do you understand? I didn't understand this. I needed a witness. I needed a faithful witness that looked just like me so that I could deal with the culture around them. I needed a family. And in our case, we have many families, but I needed a family or a set of families that I could begin to transmit my government through. I needed a seat. I needed a place where I could come down, and I found it with Abraham and Sarah. And when I came down, it was twofold. One, to deliver a promise. Number two, to bring judgment against everything that doesn't adhere to that promise. I'm going to bring a fire. I've come to bring a fire. I've come to bring a fire to purify the saint and a fire that will damn the ungodly. I've come to bring a fire. And I'm fair and righteous and just in everything that I do. If you turn to me and you repent, turn to me, turn turn to me. Many of us have been in long seasons of exile, you know, and the Lord's beginning to stand us up. What? Not in haughtiness, not in arrogance, but in meekness. With iniquities being purged. Why? Because he's ready to clean house on this nation and every nation on the face of this planet. Why? Well, when I was in the military, when the general came up on the base, man, we were picking grass out of cracks in sidewalks, polishing floors, scraping the edges with razor blades. We had to get down on our knees 
on the floors and scrape the edges of the old wax off the floors that had any bit of grime in them down all the hallways just so we could repolish them because a general was coming in. Oh, the one who cannot be compared to by anybody is coming. And he's saying, make ready. Right? Well, so he shared with me, he says, I want you to take the promise and now I want you to take that promise that I was delivered, and I want you to extrapolate it, son, for them. Because inside of this promise dwells an inheritance. And so let's move now into the promise, and then we're going to break the promise down. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Because you, the promised sons and daughters of God, uh, need to hear this, and, uh, and we need to be aware. Probably uh, many of you have read Romans 8 a lot, and you've probably heard it expounded, you know, extensively. And um, I really had asked the Holy Spirit that I could do a, a really good job with this because uh, Romans 8, 17 is an inflection or a hinge, even within Romans 8. Uh, Pete Lineker recently said X2M99 or X2M100, which is the day when we come up on this, I think we're going through an inflection point. And I, I think I can go into delineate two aspects uh, for you out of Romans 8.17, and then we're going to delve into one aspect of Romans 8.17, and I'm going to uh, expound that to you based out of what the Holy Spirit has been teaching me to give. Romans 8.17, again, many scholars have different views on this. I believe I can deliver a right view. And if we are his children, then we are his heirs also. An heir of God and a fellow heir with Christ, sharing his inheritance with him. Only we must share his suffering if we are to share his glory. And so what's happened in scholarship, and just kind of hear me out on this, is in the Greek, there's been a, a difference on heirs with God and the outplay of heir with God is a joint heir with Christ. So that when the Lord justified you, he made you an heir with God and he also gave you an inheritance with Christ. Some scholarship says there are two aspects of that. One is everybody that he saves or justifies, they get the heir of God. But they can't have the inheritance of Christ without sharing in his sufferings. That's one school. Another school says, no, you get the whole thing. Kind of carte blanche. You, you just get both in because out of being an heir of God, you are going to become an heir with Christ. And I, I'm here to suggest that it's both and and either or. <laughs> because that's how the Holy Spirit put it to me. And the reason why is technically in the Greek, when you read the difference between the two, the Greek says... On the other hand, or it speaks of having another hand. 
Now, this is really important that you hear this because this is this promise that's going to come through Isaac again, through Jacob, through going to pass on through Jesus and come to us. This is the mystery that Paul was speaking of. And within the mystery, there are two major components with it, an heir with God and an inheritance with Christ. And so what the Lord is sharing with me about this is and showing me in the text is many people, and you've heard this, many people do not even know about the inheritance with God. You know it by the way you live, and let me explain. This inheritance with God is given to you as a child, as a technon. So, for instance, if any of you have ever received an inheritance, you can have your dad and mom can sign off an inheritance to you, but as a child you can't receive it until what? Certain qualifications are met, right? But the inheritance is yours. But there's a qualification to receive that inheritance. Sometimes it's age. Sometimes you have to answer to a certain thing that your mom or dad might have seen that they want to see in you. Usually there is character things that parents are looking for. Don't go hand them a billion dollars, you know what I mean, or whatever, a hundred dollars. Don't give it to them because, man, they don't know how to handle it. They'll just blow their life apart. And so when you were justified by the Lord, there was a full inheritance with, from the Father that was given to you that is yours right now. Yeah, you've heard me say this in my preaching. You've, you've heard this. That inheritance is sitting there for you now. I think a lot of people will he'll wipe tears from their eyes because they're going to be like, you mean I could have extracted on my inheritance? He's like, yeah, I laid out a full thing for you. It had like this in it and this in it and that in it and this in it, and it was all in relationship with you. Yep, it just... Growing up from technon to weos is the Greek word for a mature son. I, I was wanting to mature. You kept telling me no. You wouldn't take walks with me. You didn't want to do what I said. Oh, you did do what I said. We moved to the next level. We moved to the next thing. And you started to extract your inheritance out of that inheritance that's with God. And it tells the, the Bible tells us in Romans how to extract the inheritance. It says really clearly, you will not get this inheritance by the works of the law. This inheritance comes by the righteousness that it comes by faith. So because Romans 4, he'll break down this so beautifully. He's like, it's not going to be by your own effort or your lack of effort. So it's, it's not, I'm trying to make it happen or I get it. I just throw my hands up in the air. I, I can't get it. No, it's going to be out of a divine relationship with him, with the Father, that you'll extract your inheritance that's already yours right now. It was done before space-time, before you even came into this body. Your inheritance was already decided by the Lord. And that inheritance, and I want to say this because the Lord wants me to say this, is actionable, real-life things you can see. Because, because, and I'm, I'm going to clarify this for you, this inheritance with God and the inheritance with Christ, let me delineate. One of them, the, the first one, the inheritance with God, is based in your being. Your, let's say this word, ontology. It is your character. 
It's related to receiving his character into yourself. Hey, I learned enough from him. He's taught me enough wisdom to, to this point. I'm not saying I can't gain more wisdom. That when we set these worship sets, I don't care about everything around me. You shouldn't either. You want to get into his presence. You want that more than your own life. You don't want to be sitting here watching everybody and figuring out where everybody's at and doing your own thing. You don't want to miss that moment. You want to know why? Because it's in that that divine nature interchange happens and you're receiving the character. Worship is the path to godly character. Because the idolatry and adultery of the human heart's coming out and he's giving you his word, installing his engrafted word into you. Well, people think, well, I don't have to worship God. Well, no, you don't have to. I'd highly recommend that you do. <laughs> I would give you your, I would say I'd give you my whole self. <laughs> you know, I don't have anything else. I, I would get into that kind of attitude with the Lord. I stop thinking so highly of yourself. I'm not saying you do. But I know I have. I don't need to worship. I got other things to do. I got other people to see. I got, I got other things I can be going about. Yeah, you do. You want as much time with him as you can get in this life. You'll be like, oh, unplug him. I'll go spend some time with the Father. And then if he motivates me and he calls me to do something else, I'm going to go walk with him. I'm, wherever he's at in Song of Solomon, she says, show me where the beloved is. I'm going wherever he is. If he's over there in a cave, I'm going to a cave. If he's in a cathedral, I'm going to a cathedral. If he's in a closet, I'm going to the closet. If he's in a castle, I'm going to the castle. It doesn't matter. Show me my beloved. Why? Because in this Christology or uh, this dazzling feature of God, this inheritance with God, I want the character. I need the word to come into my flesh and dwell. I need an installation. See, I, I share this with you. It's the Lord who can see everything about you sees this iniquity. And that iniquity is going to mess with you in this thing that he would give you. He'll never give it to you. You know why? Because he wants a relationship with you. But if he takes that iniquity out and he puts his word there, he can see it. And he says, you look like me. Therefore, let me give you this component of your inheritance. Well, how does that happen? If we suffer with him. How do you transition character over to natural, everyday Living inheritance. He says, if you suffer with Christ, everybody got quiet. <laughs> I said, that's the part I don't want to do. <laughs> I don't know what that suffering looks like for you, but I will tell you one thing that I've been, become to experience in the fellowship of his sufferings. <laughs> it's usually like this. I'm trusting your word in this particular way that you said this is what you want to deliver. And it makes you feel like you got your head stuck out and everybody's looking at you. You ever been around someone that's got a, a promise and they go tell everybody? And then you're like, we'll see about that. <laughs> we'll see if you get a promise. I mean, who do you think you are? Are you exceptional to me? You feel envy, you feel jealousy, you'll experience anger. You're like, no, I'm holding the line. He told me, he said this to me, and I'm not backing up. It's like, 
And inside you're like, I don't deserve this. I shouldn't get that. And, uh, and they say, you, don't, you definitely don't deserve that because look at you. You're messed up. You don't have, you got problems. You know what I mean? Well, there's a suffering there. There's a fellowship of suffering. Why? Because you're like, mm-mm. No, he said, and I am not changing my position. And in that place is where your transformation is. I feel unstable. We can't make it. We're never going to be able to what, what, whatever. I can't walk into that. That's outside of me. Some people say, we live below our means. Do you know, it's just as prideful to say that as it is to say I live outside of my means. But I'll tell you something about the Lord. He'll invite you into something you cannot do. He's going to invite you into that which your own works are not going to perform enough to get you into that future reality. He's going to invite you into something that only faith can take you there and real transformation in your nature. Well, look at this with me. What happens in the midst of suffering? Because we're getting down, 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 down into this because he's like, extrapolate this for them. Look with me at um, Zechariah uh, 13, 7. Yes, 7. So do you understand where I'm at with this? We're talking about the installation of godly character. That is an inheritance of God. Now we're talking about though what it means to suffer with Christ because to receive your full inheritance from the father uh, both components are going to go in place this is this is the inflection what happens here give me Zechariah 13 7 awake old sword against my shepherd against the man who is my associate Says the Lord of hosts, smite the shepherd. And the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And I will turn my back. And I will turn back my hand and stretch it out again upon the little ones of the flock. I tell you, every time the word of the Lord's ever come to our family and we said, you know, we're going to trust the Lord. There's always a scattering that comes. We just, our family just went through six weeks of it. I thought it was going to scatter all our kids everywhere. Uh, and thankfully this week we were all basically able to come back together and have a vacation together. But when the Lord comes in to deal with a promise and you say, I, I'm going to run into suffering. I'm going to run after the Lord. I don't care. I'm going to put myself into a position where there's no way out. Every promise that God brings for you, there will always be a set of objections that you'll have to agree with. Listen to me because that's what happens with Abram. Every promise has objection. And in every time the promise is delivered, there'll be a scattering. Uh, Stephen said years ago, he said, I just threw the next thing on the trash heap. I remember you saying that so much. and Everything seems to break. And something in the midst of, in the middle of, when the Lord begins to deliver his promise, it feels like everything's coming apart. You know why? Hebrews chapter 12. 
You're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. But everything that can be shaken will be. There's certain technology that's not going to make it through the shaking. There's certain relationships that aren't going to make it through the shaking. Uh, they can't make it to the next level. They, they, can't, they can't go where he's going with you. You're going to have to lay off some things and say, that's not going to be able to go there with me. You know why? Most of them are old. Because he's saying to you, I declare all things are new. I can't have old things around me. You've been walking in a way that's allowing the old things to support you in that season. It's not going to support you where you're going. You need something new. And I can't have the old coming into the new season. And so everything has to be scattered out. And it, you'll feel it, and I tell you, it is one of the most uncomfortable places. I don't want to say that suffering is easy. It's not. They don't call it suffering for no reason. Suffering is not easy. It doesn't feel good. We don't like it. You feel left high and dry. And stuff does start breaking, and you can't repair it. I've had it happen so many times. This breaks, that breaks. And I told you this last week. I decided some of that stuff, I just went ahead and went and set it on fire. I was like, forget it, it's not worth hanging on to. It's not going to carry us anyways. Why? Because when the Lord begins to strike, he begins to strike everything of the old order so he can install that which is new. You following me? I used to depend on this mode of my life to keep me going. It isn't going to work anymore. He'll remode you. I used to think of myself this way. This is how I gained resources. This is the way we did things. I don't want you to do that anymore. Stop it. I'm not interested in that anymore. That doesn't look like me and you anymore. Oh, it's a complete identity shift. It'll make you uneasy inside. Why? God has a different idea of himself in you than you have of you. <laughs> He's changing the moat. He's bringing you more into royalty. He's going to have you think like he does. He has a different way of doing things. Last night he reminds me, and I hope I can pull this up for you. He reminds me of a book that was written in, I believe it was published in 1918, by a guy by the name of David Barron. Y'all know this guy? He wrote a book called Zechariah. Anybody ever heard of it? Um, he was so prophetic, like nailed the current events that will happen to Israel in the 40s. Nails it. And even speaks like he understands e-commerce and m-commerce that we're into today when he unpacks uh, Zechariah 5 on the wickedness of commerce and systems of commerce. Anyways, I read his book years ago. And a few years ago, I read a book, his book, uh, and uh, the Lord drew back to my memory what I was reading. About I don't know, it was about two and a half years ago. And he wanted me to bring this out, and I'm, gonna, I'm going to conclude with this this morning to, you know, to seat this point. Starting on page 475, that's where it was. Against my shepherd, Jehovah himself, the shepherd of Israel, but he fulfills all that is implied to this relationship and office in and through the Messiah. This is fully set forth. 
um, in Ezekiel 34, where after announcing that he will himself seek and save and heal and strengthen and feed and satisfy, after he has said that I will do all those things for your people, his now scattered flock, he says, I will set up a shepherd over them and he will feed them, even my servant David, and he shall feed them and he shall be their shepherd. And God therefore calls him my shepherd. For he is not only specially called and appointed by him to this office, but because he is in the fullest sense his representative. And in through whom the shepherd relationship between God and his people will be realized. The unique and peculiar relationship between the shepherd and Jehovah is fully brought out in the words which follow. This is coming in, getting into it closer here. Al-Geber Amatea, the man that is my fellow. The word Amet is found elsewhere in the Hebrew Bible, only in Leviticus, and it seems to be a substantive and denotes fellowship or neighborship in the abstract. But the only other place in the Hebrew Bible where this word is found Namely, in Leviticus, it is used as a synonym of brother. In the concrete sense, it's the one who is the nearest one. The two words, giver, man, and amatei, my fellow, must therefore be regarded as apposites. That means they're very apt or we need to pay attention to them. And have been properly so rendered in the English Bible. Some rationalistic writers have sought to identify the smitten shepherd in the passage with a foolish shepherd. That's in uh, chapter 11, uh, 15 uh, through 17. Who is permitted to destroy the flock in punishment for the rejection of the good shepherd. And who is himself in the end smitten with a sword on his right arm and his right eye. But if the expression, my shepherd, stood alone... There might be some slight plausibility for this view. For the foolish or evil shepherd is, in this sense, also raised up by God to scourge on the sheep of slaughter after their rejection of the good shepherd. But the further description of the shepherd in this passage, Geber, Amatia, the man who is my fellow or my nearest one, implies much more than appointment to this office by Jehovah. More also than mere unity or community of vocation. And this is what really stuck out to me years ago when I read this. Or that he is so styled because he had to feed the flock like Jehovah and be his representative. No. Honor of a flock or lord of a flock would call a hired or purchased shepherd his amit. So what he's saying here is this shepherd that he's speaking of is not someone who's been hired and it's not someone who's been purchased. I didn't hire this guy to do this shepherding's task and I didn't purchase him like a slave. I didn't purchase him to lead the flock. Listen, it's so important. This is so important. If you hear me anything, because Abram is going to speak of him. He said, this righteousness came only by faith. 
This promise that God's delivering by suffering only comes by faith. It can't come from a hired hand or selling yourself to someone else or being a sold hand. It can't come that way. It would never deliver the promise like that. And so God would not apply the epithet to any godly or ungodly man whom he might have appointed shepherd even over a nation. He would never give them an epithet like that. He never would put over them. I hired this guy to carry out my thing. I bought this guy to carry out. No, it's the idea here that the nearest one, the one who is my fellow, not only involves a similarity in vocation, but community of physical or spiritual descent according to which he whom God calls his neighbor cannot be a mere man. Listen now. Listen if you hear me at all today. But can only be one who participates in the divine nature or is essentially, hear me, divine. Listen to the podcast 18 times if you have to after this. What are you saying, Carol? What, what are you getting at? The Lord wants to put his divine nature in us. <laughs> I mean, for real. Like you're like, how does that happen? I don't know. He wants to give you his full divinity. Do you know how, do you know how, um, do you know how violent what happened to the people around him when Jesus claimed this? Every time he brings a sword to smite is every time. You want him to. You want to suffer with Christ because he's going to give you an inheritance. You want this. You want him to come in and say, let me change your humanity and put my divinity into your humanity. You want him to. He's not going to make you do it, though. You'll stay a child your whole life. But if you're going to come into Weos mature sonship with the Lord, you want him to come in and trust him by faith and give him your whole self. You want this. I want to say. So much so that the one who's called Mashiach, hear me, because Mashiach can be applied to you. But people say, no, 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 no. Now, I'm telling you from the word of God, Mashiach, he wants to apply this anointing to every one of his sons and daughters. You can't say that. That's blasphemy. No, it is not blasphemy. Listen, he says, the good shepherd who says of himself, I and the Father are one. John 17, Father. Make them what? As we are. You hear it? Do you see? Do you see what he's wanting to give? He's wanting to give you everything he had. Has. So that you can say. Tom McManus can say. When you see me, you see the father. Oh, Paul's like it was a divine secret. It's a mystery hidden from. It was hidden. It was hidden. It's always been there. I want to give this to my people. 
I want to apply Mashiach. I want to apply this full Christology to you. I want to make you exactly like me. Not Jesus. Tom. McManus with Christ fully in him. Drew Bryant. Christ fully in him. Kelly Manning. Christ fully in her. So that you can say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It can't be, Carol. It is. And I would implore you, dig into the text. Be a good Brian. Go after this message. The Lord is after this. It's not going to take away from your persona. You're not Jesus either. He's the king of what? He's the Lord of what? Right. You know, because some people went too far with this message, and they said, we don't need Jesus anymore. Let me tell you, that's a foolish thing to say. That man's going to split the eastern sky and rule the whole cosmos is his. Yes, he created it all. And so everything belongs to him. So do we. But he wants to give this to you. And he says, if you suffer with me, you'll be glorified. Let's all stand together. The Jews said, you're a blasphemer. He's like, you guys don't understand. The religious spirit cannot receive this message. Even though they all want it, the left and the right can't receive this message. Only the one that's centered in the tree of life. They can't receive it intellectually. You must receive this engrafted word into yourself. It's the great ultimate upgrade of the ages. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And I'm going to tell you one of the strongest things that's going to come against you when you stand in faith believing is accusation. They accused him. And we've accused ourselves too much. And we've let others accuse us. In Zechariah 3, he would say, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. I say, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. I have brands plucked out of the fire. I plucked you for myself. I picked you for me. Yeah, the enemy might be there to accuse you falsely. You're like, no, I stand for him. He promised me an inheritance. Yeah, but if he really loved you, you wouldn't be suffering. No, because he loves me, I am suffering. It changes everything because, you know, in the middle of standing for him, in the middle of I don't know what I'm going to do, but I like give my whole self to him in the middle of it. I'm receiving him. I'm receiving my inheritance that he promised me that's been wrapped up in all of creation and time because he made me for himself. And I'll stand. I'll stand. I'll stand while, yes, he marks iniquity. Yeah, he's telling me the truth about me. While he's taking it out of me. Because out of his loving kindness, he's changing me. And his loving kindness is better than my life. And it's his kindness that leads me to repentance. And I'll repent. And 
I changed my course of thought again and again and again while the engrafted word is coming in and dwelling richly. And I become more like the Father and more like the Son and more like the Holy Spirit because I'm being changed right now. And I receive this change into my mortal self. Hidden in the ages past, now being delivered at the end of time. What's the Lord put, put on you? What did he tell you about you and your family or your situation? What did he tell you to stand for? Are you hedging on it or are you believing? Yeah, but they're not going to understand. I don't even understand. Don't go by your own understanding. Wait. I'm being scattered right now. I don't know where you're at. This, this broke and that doesn't work and that thing that you support me is not working. And I keep telling myself over and over again. He says, I make all things new. Well, the old's got to go. Behold, the new has come. I just tell myself that until I process. Yeah, and the enemy's going to say, just don't trust him. He's not going to be there for you. He abandoned you again. He left you high and dry. I'll trust my Lord. This is what Adam did in the garden. He left this place. I'm coming back. And I'm coming back right now to you. Right now. I'm returned to you. Eyes gazing at your glory, waiting on you, receiving your full nature into myself. Can you hear me? The Lord rebuked you, saying, and all your accusations against my consciousness, all my internal accusation from the guilt of my past, and all my future accusation from the shame. I'm stepping into something that I can't perform on. I don't receive it. I just receive the word of the Lord into my soul right now. I receive what you say about me, and that's it. But they said, and she said, and he said, I don't care. What does he say? Well, the word of God stands true. Let's come together. We'll take communion together.
you to have a bigger picture of your safety deposit box. That's the inheritance with God. It's already yours. It's a safety deposit box. But you can go draw on that inheritance through His promise to you. It's the only way you can access it. So some of these big safety deposit box companies, they have like all these special keys and 50 different letters you have to identify because you can't just get into that thing. Jesus' blood paid for that. That crypto connection to your safety deposit box. When the Lord comes to you and He speaks to you and He says, this is my promise to you. I want you to go and access and pull out of that safety deposit box that promise. You know, it's crazy what happened to me this week. I've had these promises that I believe the Lord for with our family that are natural promises. He told me, I'm going to do this for you. And he, he performs on them in the natural. He just like gave me a whole bunch more this last week that were so far outside of my scope. And I said, no way, no way, no way. He said, oh, it's always been in the safety deposit box I, I didn't know well I wanted you to believe me for the last promise I can't even tell you about the other promises yet I want you to believe me for the one that I put you on I want you to stand your ground on that promise so like, but we need all that it's like this one here once you move through that one I'll open your eyes to the next one but it's all there I mean and I, I gotta say I'm even I'm almost a little embarrassed I, I don't even tell anybody what he told me I'm like that is almost unbelievable outlandish no I like to do things like this for my kids and I'm like wow you see so my mom brought this up and she said Carol you said you didn't know how I just meant I don't know where this I don't it's not like you're going to a doctor and it opened you up or something sticking something inside of you that's what I mean but it's a good point uh I think I read this during worship, but 2 Peter uh, 1.3, I can pray this because his divine power has bestowed on us everything necessary for life and godliness through the rich knowledge of the one who called us by his glory and excellence. Through these things, he's bestowed on us his precious and most magnificent promises. Some of them are precious. Some of them are magnificent. <laughs> So that by means of what was promised, you may become partakers. How? By the means of what was promised. You, that is through that that you become a partaker of the divine nature. God gives you a promise and you want to load divine nature. How do you load divine nature? Through the precious promise he gave to you. I want to say one more thing about this. At least for me, I used to take these promises very generally speaking. And I'm not saying there's not a host of general promises. But he began to get very specific with me. Down to like idiosyncrasies. To trust him for very specific promises. 
I want you to know that the precious things, they may be general, but the magnificent might be specific. I don't know. But God has very specific promises for you. And don't, don't be afraid to go there with him when he communicates with you. Listen to him. Pay attention to the specific promise, not just the general one. Generally, I'm going to provide good health. Generally, he says, I'll, I'll give you wealth. I, generally, he will uh, give us honor and relationships. But there are specifics. And he likes to get down in the, just to see if you're paying attention. And then give you something and take care of you specifically. took the bread and he broke it and he said this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may you have peace. Amen. Speed. 
desire 